remember seeing him one time. He was during the second training camp, and uh, he looked a little, little uh, upset or a little whatever. And I said, "You okay, coach?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "I just have to go cut some people." It's hard, and he hated it. Sure, like it broke his heart to cut them, but he cut them because right. he knew it was the best for. Him. And you know, if you don't make those kind of changes, whether it's sport or whether it's church, you you actually disappoint the rest of the group, and that that's right. also a part. Of it. If, you, if you accept mediocrity, right, then it, you're the real stars on your team will either no longer be stars of the team or they'll go somewhere else because they, 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 they expect to be stars, have the opportunity to be stars. And when things aren't addressed and things aren't you know made to be better, they just go somewhere else, and they should. Right. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ron Huntley and I'll be your host today. It's the first time we've been in studio for a while and so it's really nice to have our guest today whose name is Bill Scullard. Bill, welcome to the show. Great to be here. It's fun to have Bill on the show. We've uh, been friends for a long time. Uh, Bill, we've met at St. Benedict Parish, uh, where actually we've met at St. Mary's University, but really didn't get to know each other until St. Uh, Benedict Parish. And it was a lot of fun watching you come to faith in ways that were inspiring, not only to me, but to the rest of the church. Uh, when I stepped away from my role at St. Benedict Parish, you were the person that stepped in. And uh, it was just really fun to be able to journey with you and be inspired by you as a friend. And so, again, thank you for all that you do to build up the kingdom. My pleasure. Today's <laughs> episode is going to be focused on what it means to turn something around. You know, turnarounds are challenging. The very fact that we're going to turn something around means it's probably going in the wrong direction or it wouldn't need a turnaround. When turnarounds happen, it's not, you don't tweak to get a turnaround. There, there has to be some seismic shifts in thinking in behavior in order to turn something around, whether it's a business, whether it's a church, whether it's a sports team. And uh, through our friendship, one of the things I've loved, and, and for those of you that are listening, uh, Bill is a Hall of Famer in our uh, football uni in our university in Halifax, Nova Scotia, St. Mary's. And he played a key role on a team that really is legendary in the history of, of St. Mary's, uh, you know, St. St. Mary's uh, University. And so, Bill, what brought you to Halifax? Because you didn't grow up here. Tell us a little bit about that story, because this is going to apply to people's businesses, their sports teams, and their church, even though it's not a church story. Yeah, how did I get to Halifax? Um, I finished up high school, um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, honestly, I was kind of floundering around. Um, Dad was a factory worker. I worked uh, at the factory for a little bit. Um, went to college for a couple of years, took accounting. Not sure why, but I did. And then, uh, you know, I got to be, you know, it was 21, 22. Um, no one in my family had ever gone to university, so that really wasn't even, and I wasn't an academic, so that really sure. wasn't an option, at least, you know, in my in my thoughts. But I did get a phone call uh, at a time when I was really struggling. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who had actually gone. I played junior ball with him. He'd gone to St. Mary's the previous year. Mm -hmm. I'd never even heard of St. Mary's. Sure. He gives me a call. What are you doing? I said, uh, I'm doing nothing. And there was a story behind that, but sure. we didn't get into it. But he said, I was talking to the coach, and he, he's told me there might be some interest in you coming out to Halifax. So we had a brief chat about that, hung up the phone, terrified at the thought, right? I mean, sure. One, I mean, one of two things in, in my mind was, um, you know, I, I'm not fast. I'm not very big. I love football. But there's a point where it just, you know, can't you can't get to the next level. Right. And this was definitely the next level. Um, and, and the other piece was um, academically, I mean, I just – you know, I just wasn't very smart. I just didn't think I was very smart. And university, again, big leave academically. So I uh, got off the phone. Mom and dad were in the living room. Um, dad was kind of on me at that point. Uh, you kind of kind of get your life going, right? Get a job. Right. It'll probably be in the factory. And yep. that's okay. That's, yep. that's, that's his life. And just start doing what you do, right? So, um, you know, uh, who was who a mom? Mom, who was on the phone? Oh, it's a Jerry, friend of mine. Oh, yeah. How is he? He's in Halifax, right? He is. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, with, with some trepidation, I said, yeah, he actually called. Um, uh, there was a little bit of interest from the coach in me maybe going out there at St. Mary's University. 
And I guarantee you, the only expectation I had of my father at that point, he was going to say, you know, you're 22 years old. It's time to kind of grow up. So I'm to stop playing games. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was terrified of the thought of going to Halifax. That would shut down that conversation. Perfect. And we'll just kind of get on with our life. Um, so mom said, wouldn't that be great? You could come see some of my relatives. Go see some of my relatives. Mom's born in Garysboro County in, Larry's, or, uh, in Nova Scotia. Turned to dad, and he said, oh. He said, well, do they have a football team? Do you think you could play? Which was really not expected. You didn't think, yeah. And I said, that. they do have a football team. They're not, they're not very good, uh, and I don't know if I can play. Uh, coach came out soon afterwards um, to meet my family. We went out for a bite to eat. And uh, by the end of that uh, dinner, um, I'd committed to go to St. Mary's. And a lot of people have asked me in the past, you know, of all the places you could go, why did you go to St. Mary's? And my absolute easy and honest answer was, because uh, nobody else asked. 1985. And that coach, um, he was relatively new to the team, too. wasn't even coaching. Tell me. Yeah, Larry Utech would be a name if you know anything about the CFL. Uh, he was a great player in the day. Uh, he was in his second year at St. Mary's University. He, his career had ended a little bit early because of some injuries, um, his CFL career. Uh, went up to Halifax um, to, to be an assistant coach with St. Mary's, and uh, they got rid of the, the, the head coach soon afterwards and elevated him to the head coaching rank, his first one. And uh, we were a terrible team. Uh, they were a terrible team back then. Hadn't won in a couple of years, and he was trying to— Hadn't won what? Hadn't won it. Had, sorry, hadn't won any games. <laughs> no, we're not talking. Hadn't, hadn't won, won anything. Had, no, they hadn't. Had, I don't think it was. I think it was two and a half years. They had not won a football game. So by far, you know, Atlantic was one of the weaker conferences in the country, the weakest conference in the country, and we were the worst team in the weakest conference, which made us the worst team in Canada. Right. And he was trying to put the pieces together to to to, to fix a, a program that was very broken. Um, had a great history back in the seventies, but it really declined in the last decade or so. You know, one of the things I love about sports is that there's a scorecard, there's a scoreboard, there's a scorecard. and you know whether or not you win or lose. It's not, you know, you don't go out there and play a game and come out and say, I think we did pretty good. We're tired. We ran hard. Yeah. We were busy. We like each other. And so way to go. Like, it's like, no, you win or you lose. And I think sometimes in business or in the church world, we can be really busy, but we don't know if we're winning or losing. And so we can... I find we can delude ourselves for long periods of time. We can be on decline for long periods of time, but nobody seems to notice. I mean, we, we might notice in our gut, but we don't know how to speak about it. We don't have a language for it because we're not, we're not counting wins. We're not counting touchdowns. We're not, you know, we don't know how to do any of that stuff, right. and it's really dangerous. So tell me a little bit about, so you, you show up in Halifax, jump on a plane, I guess, or get a drive, or how'd you get here? I jump on a plane for the first time in my life. Yeah. Landed in Halifax. I'm about to turn 23 years old. So it, that in itself is like, this is a little bit ridiculous, right? This is right. So I'm thinking one or two things are going to happen. I'm going to fail out academically because okay. I'm not, or um, I'm not going to be good enough to play on this team because again, too small, too slow, too. You know. um, and I'll go back home and I'll, you know, join join dad at the factory and get on with my life. Right. So I got out there, um, and and again, the, and I was also thinking the only reason why I would even be potentially make the team would be because the team was so bad. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, I get out there and, and try and love in Halifax and training camps, you know, fun. I see a lot of talent. I'm thinking like, oh, my, if, 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 if this team is going over, the other teams must be really good. Right. Because it looks like we got some loaded. We got we got CFL draft picks. We got fourth and fifth year captains that are great football players. And I'm right. just trying to, trying to kind of keep up with it all. And, um, yeah, it, it was a real positive experience. UTech is – is uh is is you know making some changes uh to, to sort of the processes the expectations and uh you know and I, I feel like I'm, I'm i mean i'm trying to keep up some good days and some bad days is kind of the way training camp works with rookies yeah, i bet but but all in all it's 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 going pretty well for me nice walk me through the just take us through the well so we, we so we story. yeah so <laughs> so we we're we're, we're playing uh saint of x again having one and two and a half years playing we're up in saint of x um the first game and uh uh, I'm actually dressing and starting, which is kind of neat. We were a bit thin at receiver, which was so I had a chance to actually start. And uh, first game uh, against X, uh, we're kind of dominating the game, at least from a yardage standpoint. Uh -huh. oh, but we're make, making just enough mistakes to keep it close. Late in the game, we're down 13-11. Uh, you know, it's funny, 30-something years later, you still remember this. <laughs> but we're down 13-11. We're, we're, dr we're dr hopefully driving again for 
uh, to get down for in, in terms of field goal, field goal position. Uh, threw a long pass with about 15 seconds to go. Uh, it was actually the first pass I ever caught, and I got and I caught it and fell down at the three-yard line. There's like eight seconds to go. So when you say you fell down, did you get tackled or did you no, just No, I, I, I kind of dove as I caught oh, it and okay, just good. plunk and they, they land on top of me. Three-yard line. There's like five or six seconds to go in the game. Perfect. And as soon as I got up, I thought, we win. Like, yeah. we're going to come down here. We're going to kick a 10-yard field goal. Who can't do that? Chip shot. Yeah. You know, and, um, and we're going to win. We get down there. Um, we quickly, like, the, our quarterback, instead of calling a timeout, quickly rushes us up to the line of scrimmage. And all I'm thinking is, what's he doing? Just call a timeout here. Just call a timeout. And then I'm about to call a timeout. And I'm thinking, like, I'm a rookie. I can't be calling a timeout here. <laughs> like, this is not my role on this team. Got to get and, and And you kind of look at it, and, and he calls a, a, a dive play, just a, a quick handoff. We get stuffed, and the time runs out. And, I mean, the, the, we're just stunned. I'm just stunned. We're, we're just stunned. Uh, Coach Usa comes out. He's screaming at the quarterback, just screaming at him. Why did you call a timeout? Why did you right? And it's just one of the other, other teams celebrating, and we're walking off the field. And it's one of those, like, that's the worst loss ever you know, that I've been associated with, yeah. right? Get into the dressing room. Pretty quiet. You know, taking off our stuff, and it's just, how did we lose that football game? And I realized a few minutes into that, um, I'm looking around, getting in a feel for the what's going on, and people aren't upset. You know, people are there's a lot of talking, uh, some laughing. Right, I'm hearing from the, some of the more senior guys, you know, where they're going downtown after we get back to Halifax, and I'm just thinking, what, like, like, how can we not be more upset than this? Right. It's just, it's just not. It, there's something's not right. Uh, but again, I'm a rookie. Like I just got a rookies. Shut your mouth right. and play hard. Put That's your right. keep your head down. Right. Yep. So I just kind of took all that in. You know, the bus ride back from Annie Ganesh. Again, not joking and laughing and just you know just way too much of that considering what we just experienced. Right. Okay. Um, you know, practice all week. Good practice, as I recall. Uh, we're going up to Acadia, uh, week two, and uh, they're, they they won the conference the previous year. Okay. So we're we're in we're in we're into it there. Um, first, first experience with the, the Acadia fans who just were so abusive, <laughs> especially to rookies. Uh, yeah, they were, they were tough on us. Yeah. Crowds right on top of us. Um, good game. We're back and forth and back and forth. Um, um, but we're in it. Uh, we're down 12, 11. Come on. Late in the game. We're driving down. We get down to about the 20 yard line. Um, with, with seconds remaining, I'm thinking, cool. Yeah. Field goal. Yeah. We win. Uh, you know, we're one yeah. and one. Could be two and zero, oh, but we're one and one, and we just beat the previous year's conference championship. Cool. Um, I'm a one of the roles I've got is I'm the holder for field goals. Yes. Um, buddy of mine, Jerry, who was uh, Jerry Foster, who um, was one who actually initially called me, he's a field goal kicker, and he's comfortable with me holding. Right. Gotcha. That's cool. So you know, we call, you know, call the huddle, got field goal, come out there, yeah, uh, pin it, pin it down, or we're supposed to pin it down. So you know, I, I look to the center to get the snap. He snaps it. 30 feet over my head. Oh, you did. Kicker's running for it. I'm running for it. We all get tackled. We lose 12-11. Stop it. We lose 12-11. It's like I thought last week was the worst loss ever. <laughs> this is the worst loss ever. Katie's going crazy celebrating, and we're like, that is un... We're 0-2. Should be 2-0. and At worst, 1-1. and And just head down into the dressing room, right? Undo and taking the tape off and everything. Look around again. Nobody's really, really upset. Not nobody, but there's just a sure. a sense in the room, a tone in the room, especially on some of the more senior guys, our cat or seniors at least, that this isn't devastating. This isn't like, are you invested in this or not? Like that was absolutely what just happened out there. You know, some laughing, talking about the the bars that we're going to later on today, and I'm thinking, what a bunch of losers! <laughs> what a bunch of losers! Wow. So then I'm th- so I have a tough weekend because I think, what am I doing about this? What? So I'm thinking, like, I got to go talk to Coach Utech. And, and all my fibers going, like, I'm a rookie. Like, right. shut your mouth. Like, you have got no right to be raising your voice in this area. Just be quiet and, you know, contribute. Keep your head down. Yeah. And I don't really know Coach Utech that well. I had dinner with him. That's the only time we've actually spent any time together. He's a pretty quiet guy. Sure. Um, you know, so anyway, go to his office, um, knock on the door. He sees me. Hey, come on in. Uh, we sit down. Yeah, um, he had an old typewriter. This is 1985, right? He had an old typewriter, and he was he was perpendicular <laughs> to him, and he's tap 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 tap, and in between, sort of tap tap tap, kind of looks over. How you doing? I said, Well, good, good, good. Tap 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 tap, and he says, What can I do? You know, what can I do for you? And I'm thinking, like, oh, Am I really going to say this? 
And I'm like, okay. And he may absolutely lose it. I have no idea right. about coach. Um, so I finally say, um, coach, I don't think this team wants to win. And then I'm like waiting for it, right? He doesn't say anything. Tap, 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 tap. And after a long pause, um, he says, he says, sorry, what'd you say? I think he didn't hear me. To say it twice. Yeah, I got to say it twice. So louder, kind of looks over, and I said, I don't think this team wants to win. Just let it hang out there, right? I'm waiting to get kicked out of his office. That'd right. be the end of it. And again, tap, 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 tap. You're right. Tap, 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 tap. I don't know what he was going to say. I didn't expect him to say that. <laughs> so I continue sitting there, and he's tap, 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 tap. Finally looks over me and says, what do you plan on doing about that? And I'm thinking, like, I have no idea what I'm playing, right? I'm thinking, what do I say to that? I'm a rookie. I'm like, I'm, I've been here three weeks, four weeks, right? Yeah. Like, what am I, what role, my role isn't that, right? And so I didn't answer because uh, I had nothing to say. He said, I brought you and, and people like you on this team to fix that, help fix that. Okay. And we had a good chat. Did you? About culture and about winning and about turnaround, and what's required. And not everyone's going to be here, but this is what has to happen. And I just sat there. It was a clinic for me. I just sat there and soaked it up. Wow. Soaked it up. And he told me what my role needed to be within that scenario. I left there thinking, like, wow. Wow. Like, so he saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. Clearly. You're seeing yourself. I'm a rookie. I have a role. I'm taking a risk, fully expecting to get hammered and set packing. And instead, this coach says, this is what I saw in you. This is what I need from you. Right. Wow. And I heard him say many times before, they're, they're, only the, it's not just the fourth and fifth year guys that are leaders. We're all leaders on this team. And his expectation is we will lead, lead from every position or he'll, he'll find other people who will. Yeah. That was the message I was getting. Okay. So the rest of the season sort of played out. Again, coach trying to instill. But he, he also had... had uh, uh, taken over um, uh, a number of players who, quite frankly, had been beaten up over the years, and it was just, right. it was, you know, the, 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 you know, yep. the, you, you needed, you know, the the players who were going to win, and, and quite frankly, some of them just weren't weren't signing up, right, for it, kind of kind of playing out the string and whatnot. So yep. that year, we continued to lose, lost all our games. Um, not true. We we at the end of that year, we actually um, won uh, two of the last three. We were zero five, and then we finished uh, two or zero uh, and four. The first finished, two wins and three, games. yeah, which three was nice. Three, which yeah. was nice. We also, yeah, we went up to Acadia last game of the season and beat them by about like about forty five. Uh, you could argue they're in the playoffs. We're not. Maybe they're resting all their players, but sure. you know, we we kind of got rolling that year. Um, I scraped through academically, uh-huh. um, went home, but had really found something at St. Mary's that really you know, you had, gave you purpose. Really resonated, resonated with me so. You know, went back to the factory and worked in the summer, worked, you know, if I wasn't working, I was working out to get myself in better shape and get a little bit bigger. I was, I, I arrived there, I was six feet tall, 171 pounds. Okay. That's little. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I made up, made up for, uh, with that for, for being very slow. So it was like, it was, but, but, I, but I was working on all those things. He's light, but he's slow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Make, makes up with a lack of speed. Um, so went, went there for my second year. Uh, I went to training camp, excited about you know, what, what could be happening. And the first day of training camp, you always meet with the whole team. Yes. And this is this is not on the field. This is actually in a, in a classroom-type environment, theater-type environment. So we met there. And back then, there was there were probably about 65 players. Okay. They're much bigger now, but about 65 players were there. A bunch of guys coming back. We were adding in some new guys, obviously. Um, again, first meeting. So we got 65 players there. We've got all the support staff, all the physios, all the assistant coaches, uh, are all there, so it's kind of kind of bring it all together, and let's kind of set the tone for the yeah, you know, state start, of the union. Well, state of the union, um, yeah. you know, by coach, uh, coach, and this is really coaches. It, 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 this is the first time he's really had a chance to do that. Because last year was just you know his first year, and I think he was just sort of figuring out what he's got, sure. kind of thing, right? Yep. So, um, you know, we're all in a room again, kind of, kind of picture theater seating, maybe a hundred people there, and uh, he comes in, kind of shh, 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 everyone, kind of coach comes in, and and um, starts off by saying. Um, in three years, this team's going to play in the national championship. And just sat there. One person laughed. For, not for very long. Laughed. And I remember Coach just looking. Looking in the eyes. 
all the players and coaches, everybody else. Let that sit for a long time. Then repeated it. In three years, this team is going to play in the national championship. And again, I just remember him. And this is the way it's going to play out. And I remember the first thing he said was, not all of you are going to make it. Because winning's not for everybody. Some people are built for Everybody wants to win. But there's not a lot of people that are willing to do what it needs to be done to win. And some of you are going to exit yourself from that. You're going to make a decision not to, and that's okay. you got to go find something you're more passionate about than football. And for others, if you stick around, there's something magical about a turnaround. When we start to win, it'll be one of the greatest experiences of your life that you'll be able to draw on for the balance of your life if you stay. He had everybody in that room. Everybody in that room. This is how it has to happen. He talked about work ethic. He talked about showing up dressed to play. He talked about expectations. He talked about first stringers becoming second stringers. He talked about second stringers not dressing. And you all got to be okay with that. Because we're not good enough in this room right now. So I'm going out to recruit. He always he would always say this. I'm, as soon as I recruit you, I'm going to try to find um, somebody better than you to replace you. That's how it works. So I guarantee you, he said, not everyone's showing up tomorrow for practice, and that's okay. And during the course of this training camp, I'm unfortunately going to have to remove some of you folks because you just aren't able to do it, and that's okay. You go find something else you're passionate about. Wow. But we're going to play in the national championship in three years. I can just hear, like I could just imagine, like there's so many things running through my head right now. <laughs> just like Talk about vision. Like that, we're going to play in that. However many words that is, that's a very right. short sentence. In three years, this team is going to play in the national championship. And think how absurd the comment is. Worst we, team we in the worst <laughs> conference. And McLean's, which is a Canadian magazine here, he used to do a, um, uh, a, pre, a, a pre-season a report yeah. on, on college football. Um, and they'd rank teams one, two, I think it was 22, 23, whatever, how many teams we had. Um, and they did a big write-up in McLean's Magazine about each team. Yeah. Uh, Western was ranked number one, okay. which is not uncommon. Yeah. They had maybe three-quarters of a page on th- their team. We were ranked last, number 23, and I remember it was literally two lines. Haven't won in two years, no expectation they will win this year. <laughs> and I was accurate. <laughs> I was absolutely accurate. Um, not casting any stone to the sports pundits here. That's, well, that's you, talk about, you talk about numbers. Right. Those were the numbers. Weak conference, worst team in the weak conference, worst team in Canada. True. At least from a result standpoint, which in football, that's that's the scorecard. It'd be interesting to have him do his APEST evaluation. You know, <laughs> all the shepherds listening right now are just reeling at the thought of saying something, like to have a vision that big that it's okay if some people don't come along. Yeah. You know, so often in churches I see, Bill, like we keep the same people in the same roles, even though we know they're not doing a very good job and instead and in fear of hurting their feelings we just avoid the conversation altogether and hope somehow the church is mysteriously going to get much better at all kinds of different things and and really it boils down to just like that coach willing to if if we're here and we're going to get here we're going to have to think differently we're going to have to make difficult decisions we can't get from here to there unless we have people who want to turn something around, who want to be one of the best churches right. in their country or in their diocese. And so often it's like, well, we're as good as the others. At least we're playing football. It's like, why is that the goal? We're playing church. Why is playing church the goal? When people's friends and kids are perishing, they're turning away from faith. They don't care. They're disengaged. And we know it. And yet we keep just dialing it in. And McLean's Magazine is writing your church down, your parish, in terms of results it's getting very unlikely to ever turn convert somebody to Jesus. Right. We're making zero new Christians and likely not to make any again this year. Like how many McLean's magazines on churches would say that about right. different parishes? And then we have, and again, it doesn't have to be this way, but we're coaching into a culture that doesn't want to win. Right. We're okay with participation medals. Yeah. And Jesus is not okay with participation medals. 
We are not there to show up. No, cut that tree down. It's not bearing any fruit. We're there to change lives. Right. Amen. Wow. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I get so fired up. This is the best parish renewal conversation ever, and it has nothing to do with parishes uh, in one sense. Building on what you just said, I remember Coach Utech. He was a real sensitive guy, real quiet guy, real sensitive guy. I remember seeing him one time. He was during the second training camp, and uh, he looked a little little, uh, upset or a little whatever. And I said, you okay, Coach? He goes, yeah, yeah. He said, I just have to go cut some people. It's hard. And he hated it. Sure. Like it broke his heart to cut them, but he cut them because right. he knew it was the best for it. And, you know, if you don't make those kind of changes, whether it's sport or whether it's church, you you actually disappoint the rest of the group. And that, that's right. also a part of it. If you, if you accept mediocrity, right, then it, the, 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 the real stars on your team will either no longer be stars of the team or they'll go somewhere else because they, 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 they expect to be stars, have the opportunity to be stars. And when things aren't addressed and things aren't, you know, made to be better, they just go somewhere else. And they should. Right. And they and should. They should yeah. And they should. Well, so we, st- we start second year. Um, um, although we didn't have a, uh, you know, the wins and losses weren't coming there yet. Coach Utah always said, once we, fi- once we get the culture, once we fix the culture, hardest thing in the world to do. He said, then the wins come. They don't, they don't, wins don't come before the culture. They're the last thing to actually have happen. So you really got to trust in the process. You got to trust in the people. Uh, because you're not going to get the results right away. And you just got to stay the course and be strong and continue to kind of, you know, love each other when no one else is loving you. Right. Uh, because it, it, it's tough sled. Again, we yep. were the butt of a lot of jokes, and it's been 10, 12, 13 years since we'd actually won. Um, so, so we start the season. You could tell there was a, there was a, there was a different tone. Like UTEC had, um, had a, he, was, he was getting the right people in place. He was, he was moving the, the other people graduating or, you know, and, and, and the ones who were staying, like, you don't have to get every. I remember him telling me you don't have to get everybody to come on board. You just got to get sort of the key members, whatever twenty percent, whatever the number is. The rest will follow, but you got to get those key twenty. And he was identifying those key twenty, making damn sure we knew our roles right. in that because we needed to help sort of bring uh, the rest bring, along, bring everybody else along. So um, you know, we we start. We, you know, we lost first couple of games. Uh, we actually won a game, which was great. And then we had a we we were one and two, and we had a national um, uh, national game, a TSN game, TSN broadcast game from Husky Stadium in, in Halifax, which in 1986, I guess, was a big deal. Yeah, because there was no national coverage. There was no yeah. you, know, you couldn't you couldn't you know all the technologies are there today. It was a big deal, and St. Mary's had lost so much. It wasn't like you know we were yeah. we weren't get, getting on TV. If there's anybody on TV, anyway, national audience on a, on a Friday night. Um, in, in Halifax and, you know, for a lot of people from Ontario and other places, our, our right. families get to watch, which is kind of fun. So we're pretty excited about being there. Uh, we had actually won a game, so we're starting to feel a little bit better about ourselves. Um, and uh, they, uh, St. of X beat us 41 nothing. <laughs> I think it was 34 nothing at the half. Wow. Right? And then they just shut it down, and we just limped uh, to the finish line. I remember leaving the field. And looked over, and there was a TSN tent. It was a portable tent they set up for the broadcasts. Sure. And and I remember seeing Coach on broadcast talking about this game, defending our whatever. Like he, but he's got a some. He's got to talk about the game that we we just read. I'm thinking, what you know, to, to put him in that position? Like, what could he possibly say? Right. Go into the dressing room. You know, it was pretty quiet in the dressing room. And at one point, Coach Utah comes in. Right. And he's like, shh, shh, shh. Right. He comes in and. And I, I have no idea what he's going to be like, like, but but he could completely lose it, and we deserve it. Like blast us for that that effort or lack of effort, right? And he comes in in a real quiet voice, says, "Come close, I need you all close." Again, not a big team, sixty guys, right? And we kind of get close, no closer, no closer. So we're just piled around him, shoulder to shoulder, and whatnot. And in a, in a fairly quiet voice, he says, "And I again, I have no idea, right?" He says, "I owe everybody in this room an apology." And again, pin drop, can't hear a word, right? Um, he says, clearly, I did not have you, this team, prepared to play football today, and that's all on me. And he said, and as long as I've got the honor of coaching this team, that will, I promise you, that will never, ever happen again. And he spoke more about that. And he said, I will have you prepared for every game we play, win or lose. That preparation starts tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. at the top of um, uh, Tower Gorsebrook Hill. Gorsebrook Hill. We're going to run some sprints. Anybody not showing up is no longer part of this team. Have a good night. And left. He could have gone down a couple of different routes. Yeah. But everybody in that room was in at that point. He took ownership. He took ownership. It sent a message to everybody else that we had to take ownership. 
balance of the year. Uh, we ended up, we went two and five, just like last year, but it was a different two and five. We were in more of the games. Um, we, did, we just, there was a different tone, a different feel. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, again, go home, um, work in the factory, train, uh, excited about what year three looks like. Oh, in, in the second year, the team votes the captains, with, mm-hmm. with five or six captains. Um, and, and the team voted me one of the captains, gotcha. which was a real honor to, to do that for a second year guy, which, uh, uh, which I was, you know, I was honored uh. to do that. I, and I took that really, really seriously. Went home, trained, came back for year three. Um, at that point, um, again, we'd, we'd had another good recruiting year um, in, in all areas, actually. Um, and it, we'd, we'd picked up a, a particularly good quarterback out of, uh, out of the Quebec League, which, which he had a big reputation, at least in the Quebec League, of, sure. you know, in, in junior ball there, um, of, of being good. We start the season, uh, we're winning. Um, I think we're 2-2 two and two at some point, which is kind of exciting. And um, uh, a lot of close games, but we seem to be able to win those close games, which is also a part of kind of mm-hmm. the evolution, if you will. You know, yeah. good, good teams, tough teams can, can figure out, find out how to uh, find a way to win. Um, and we went 5-2. and two. Uh, which was exciting. Made the playoffs for the first time in, I think, 15 years. Um, won a playoff game against Acadia, uh, which was unexpected. They were the favorite. Um, and then, then we actually were in the Atlantic Bowl, which is a big deal here in Halifax. Yes, uh, it's in Husky Stadium, actually, which is a kind of home team for us. Bishops um, came came to play in the Atlantic Bowl. We were ranked uh, number one offense in Canada. They were ranked number one defense in Canada. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be an offense against a defense thing. Um and we, um, we, uh, no, excuse me. I'm one, I'm one year ahead. Okay. We're, we're in Atlantic Bowl in 87 against McGill. Okay. Against McGill, number one defense, number one offense. Um, great game back and forth. Um, and, uh, um, uh, we're up by two, uh, 29, 27. Uh, they're driving down. Uh, they convert a couple of third downs on the drive. Shoot. And uh, on the last play of the game, Chuck Petapaw, I'll never forget his name, their field goal kicker, kicks a 48-yard field goal with no time remaining to beat us 30-29. They go to the Bandy Cup. We don't. Oh, my. Oh, that's a killer. 9,000 people at Husky Stadium going crazy the whole game. and Right? Devastating loss. But when you take a step back, it's like, but great. How far great, have we come in progress. such a short yeah, period great of time? Great progress, right? Two, two years into this journey, and we're, we're in the thick of this thing. Right? Uh, go home. Train hard. UTech adds more people. Um, other people leave. Um, culture continues to build. Expectations are crystal clear on what's expected and what's 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 what what won't be uh, won't be tolerated. Uh, we go into the season ranked number one in the country. All right. So three years you, later, you're ranked we, yeah, number two, one. Two in years. The, two years. Two later. years. We're ranked number one in the country because um, we'd had a really great season and, and virtually everybody was coming back. UTech had, had a couple yeah. of good recruiting years. Um, McLean's had us, you know, <laughs> a much longer article than the previous one. Um, um, we, uh, we go seven and zero in the conference, um, which we, and expectations are super high. We're really rolling over the Atlantic conference, um, offense with a Chris Flynn, our quarterback is putting up some ridiculous numbers. We, uh, we, uh, win, um, uh, the playoff game, we're back in the Atlanta pool. Um, and we're playing, um, and then again, um, Bishops comes to town uh-huh. in 1988. Uh, Bishops, uh, not to get too deep into it, but Chris Flynn, who was a, this great quarterback who who, uh, who came there, he's supposed to go to Bishops. Uh, he uh. committed to go to Bishops, came up for a recruiting trip to Halifax, loved Coach Utech and the environment he was in and ended up you know, kind of shocking everybody by coming here. So Bishops wasn't too pleased. Bishop comes in with the number one defense. We've got the number one offense. Um, and we... Uh, we rolled over them pretty good. Okay, beat them up pretty good. Okay, um, to go to the uh, to, to, to now, now we're in the Vandy Cup, the national the national championship three years in, later in Toronto. Three years later, um, half the guys had never been on a plane before. It was a it was a different world back then. Of course, yep. they announced us that we were all on the plane coming up. A bunch of the guys got to go into the cockpit while they're flying to <laughs> to check that out. Which pre nine eleven pre nine eleven it wouldn't happen today. And uh, you know we had a really solid game against a, a very tough team. Ended up losing. Yeah, but that's uh, some unique circumstances around that that uh, you know, might be a story for another day. Sure. As yeah. they say. But, yeah. but again, you know, the, you know, the results there, th- you know, three years, you know, um, to the day, if you will. Um, Coach Utech's prediction is that we're going to play in a national championship coming from the worst team in Canada is how we're going to do it. Three years later, we play in the national championship. And so, Bill, I mean, it's just I find it such an inspiring story, and I know there's so many 
other stories as a part of that because we've been friends for a while and it's just so fun because like he said you're going to be able to dig into this experience and use it for the rest of your life in all kinds of other areas and i know you have right like this guy has is just been an incredible person in halifax like they have a street named after him and he was a counselor and i know he's played such he's he's been a giant in the lives of of so many people, and especially yours, I know how much respect you have for him. But th- he's looking at that scoreboard, and he's saying that scoreboard's not going to change until we change the culture. Right. What did that mean? What did that look like? Like, what was the culture that you thought think he was trying? Like you mentioned, they just didn't want to win. Yeah. What was the culture that needed to shift? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's tough losing a lot. I you know, know. You, you get to a point where, and then, you know, and I would say the senior players on the team in 85, my first year, um, had, had basically, you know, won two football games in four years. Right. Kind of thing, right. And there didn't seem to be any reason for optimism that I was going to change. Um, you know, the sort of accepting of mediocrity yeah. was there. Um, there wasn't a lot of pushing of the, of the players to, to be their absolute best, you know. Um, and, you know, you know, in sports, you, you hear, you know, the term, you know, the coach lost the room or the coach lost yes, the, yeah, you know, the dressing um, room. And, yeah. and that was, pr- that was probably the case um, is, is that, you know, at some point, you know, change has to happen and, and change from the top has to happen to really send a message. This is actually going to be different. Um, so, you know, when, 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 when coach came on board, he was absolutely aware uh, that that had to be the case. He knew it wouldn't be an overnight thing. He knew he had to, 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 to change the culture. He knew that everybody wouldn't buy into the culture. Um, and that was fine. And those would, you'd, you'd be exited one way or another yourself or, or, or by him. Um, you had to find people who were willing to buy into a culture. And also it, you need to find people who were willing to go on a bit of a journey because this wasn't going to get fixed tomorrow. This was, this was a vision um, of a coach sitting there saying, we haven't won a football game in three years, but, but you know, I see something in you that's going to help us get that. Does that always happen? No, it doesn't actually happen. No. And you know that. So, you know, you know, you know, you know, it's much easier to go to a program that's winning a lot already, and that's okay. Yes. Um, but there's something really magical about going to a program that hasn't won and be part of the change yeah. and can be able to speak to that. So, you know, ag- again, there was there was just that feeling. I may remember those first two games we lost and, and the, the kind of the acceptance of that loss. No, no, no. You know, it kind of lacked. And again, this isn't universal. There are some great guys on that team that I, became of part of that became part of the future in this. And even the guys who, you know, who who you know, were kind of beat down a little bit those fourth and fifth year because I feel for them because you know at some point you're just kind of throwing up your arms, going like like nothing's going to fix this. Right. At least in the time I'm going to be here. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. So so it really became um, sort of a top to bottom um, change in culture, which which you know, created a, a completely different expectation. Um, and the great thing about it is it starts with Coach Utec down. Um, and, and the great cultures, it filters down, right? So, you know, coach has got, you know, assistant coaches got to buy in and the positional coaches got to buy in and the captain's got to buy in and the players got to buy in. And I knew about year three when the players were policing each other is when we knew the culture was entrenched. Right before, you know, if somebody's not running hard, you know, coach, you know, a couple of times a year just completely lost it. I think it was all strategically done sure. where he'd completely lose it for 10 minutes. Yeah, scare the daylight to everybody. Scare the hell out, right? <laughs> yeah. um, that actually filtered down to, to you know, playing, playing our role. Captains and, and leaders on the team would police each other. When a guy wasn't running sprints hard enough, it wasn't UTEC yelling at him, it was us yelling at him. Yeah. Like it just became, came, no, this is culture. And, and I don't know. If, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a huge New England Patriots fan, um, but I am for a lot of reasons. And they spent a couple of decades creating a culture. No matter who, what pieces they put into the culture, the culture was in place um, uh, by their coach um, to win. Right. And and you know in this in the world of the NFL these days, in the free agency, whatnot, it's hard to get dynasties. They still had a dynasty because they had the best culture in the NFL, because the expectation was to win. And they bring in people who would win, or they would adapt the people to win, and they would get rid of the ones that weren't. Well, you talk about coming into that first training camp, and you're saying, "My gosh, if this team is having zero wins, the other teams must be awfully good because right. there's all this talent." But you take this great talent in a bad culture, right? And it it can't 
win. Right, need them and, both. And I see that so often in churches. Right. You know, you have great people there, but there's just no expectation that we're going to make a difference. I'll never forget uh, Father Michael Clare, who was our first yep. intern, came and he, he self he self called he called himself Father Fuddy Duddy. He said, "I'm just here for a couple of tips," and you yeah. know, and he just really and I thought tips are going to cut it. And, you know, it's it's going to take way more than a couple of tips. And I love his story, and he's told this story several times. At, at St. Benedict, coming up to Easter Vigil, there were all kinds of adults coming to full right. communion with the faith. And he right. was he didn't know anybody did that anymore. And so he called back to his church back in Montreal and said, when's the last time we had an adult baptism? And it was in the 70s, and he repented. He repented. He realized, what am I doing? Like, he... He became a Larry Utech at that moment. <laughs> you know, he realized I can't keep playing church or doing church and not getting victories in the form of transformed lives, of people becoming Christians. And it changed everything. And that church is booming now. It's absolutely booming. They've helped so many other churches in a secular city, uh, inspiring them to learn how to lead in ways that create new Christians. And we used to do something called the the Pentecost challenge, because we realized right. that St. Benedict, you know, all these people's lives were changed, but the only thing, what do you, you, you value what you count? What were we counting? How many communions were distributed? How many people went through baptism, first communion, first confession, marriage? And assuming that those lead to the different breakthroughs in becoming a disciple, but they're not, not in this culture. They're not. I mean, it'd be nice if they were. Maybe they used to be. They're not anymore. And so we're counting things that don't equal discipleship. We had a priest come in, and, mm-hmm. I, and I, his name escapes me. It might come as I tell the story. But he came in, and, and at the time I was still working, actually, but uh, for, somehow somebody thought it would be a good day for me, me to run the baptismal ministry. Father James. I'm like, really? Okay. Really? Oh, um, Father Simon. What is no, Father it was Simon? Father James. Was it? it was okay. Father James. Okay. Yeah, he brought me in, and then Father Simon kind of took over at okay, that point. Gotcha. But okay. I remember I was in the office, Father James. You got five minutes here. He said, I need you. We sit down in his office. I need you to run the baptismal ministry. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I can't say no to him, right? But <laughs> so next thing I'm running the baptismal ministry. But, um, you know, the, the approach we took uh, 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 and still do at St. Benedict is that it, it is not a, a – um, uh, we're just not going to do the the, the transaction right. of baptism. You know, we get the phone calls. Somebody doesn't come to our church. Says, you know, I'm looking to get my you know, our, our granddaughter baptized. Um, we're we're available July 13th if you guys are type thing. So that's not the way it works. We we need to establish some relationship, and we hope this is going to be a forever relationship versus just yes. a, a transaction. And we sit down with them. We go. They go through a, th- a three week journey with us, almost like a mini elf, if you will, to introduce them to the church and introduce the you know what the expectation is. Um, and at that point, um, it's not automatic that they're going to be baptized. At that point, we decide whether whether you know baptism is going to take place. It's, it's not a yes or no. It's a it's a not right now, because again, we we just won't do the the transaction with no expectation. Because they're being baptized into a family of faith, but if they don't even want to belong, it'd be like it, me going to Smee and saying, "I'd love to be initiated as part of the, this year's crop into the football team." Right. It's like, bro, but you don't play football. Right. Well, I don't want to play football. I just like initiations. Right. My, <laughs> my grandparents want me to play football just for a day kind of thing. It doesn't work that way. Give so me a jersey. We, we, so we established that sort of the, that process, and, and, it, and it continues on today. Um, and, again, it's, it, it, a whole lot of it is focused on, on the parents, obviously, to create expectations for them and sure. also show them what it could be. Yeah. It's the first step of a long journey we want to take with you kind of thing, right? greatest gift you can give your child is to, to be – in a relationship and, with and, Jesus, and relationship with Jesus, and, and the church, and, and we want that for you, and we want we really want that for your, you know. So we we're, we're very gentle about it. it. Isn't like a right, a hard, yeah, it's not hard, judgment, and, and you're no, not good and, enough. And guess what? Yeah. When we offer up that opportunity, um, some people say no, and they phone the next church, and that's, that's you know, right. it breaks our heart, but that's okay because it gives we gotta we gotta you know uh, believe in what we're trying to do here, and then Jesus yes. looking down saying like don't 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 do that, don't do the transaction. I'm not signing up. Well, one of the priests came, sat sat through. Um, kind of, kind of a, a, our baptism meeting, um, and we sort of took him through the philosophy of this. And and uh, he had he had come from Ontario, um, and he, at the end of the thing, he just listened. At the end of it, he he was kind enough to share that he was absolutely wrecked because he said in the last year or two, I think it was in the two years, he'd done eight hundred baptisms in their diocese. Oh, right, because they have Catholic right, schools. Right, yeah, eight hundred uh, baptisms, and and was not. 
convinced that one person was still going to church. Right. Broke his heart. Yeah, a lot of people said, get them baptized because they want to send them to a Catholic check, church. Check, check the box. Or a Catholic school. Yeah, yeah, check the box. I was guilty as anybody in my uh, younger years of check the yeah. box. Yeah, and we were the same way at St. Benedict when we started. We started measuring what does success look like, and we started to define that. And I know that is appalling for some of our listeners who are in church ministry, but Jesus, after he, you know, after he talked about, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you, and, and a bunch of the disciples get up and left, and he looked at his apostle, and he said, do you want to leave too? Like, Where are we going to go? <laughs> right? You have the words yeah. of eternal life. But the point is, like, why are we doing this, and should it matter? And I know for us, like, we started— we realize there's a lot of lives being changed, but we're not measuring them, and we want to measure them. And so we decided that at Pentecost, we were going to define a, what, a, what a disciple meant. And that you became a disciple when you've had a transformational encounter with Jesus, and from there, you've chosen to surrender and follow. That's when you go from not being a disciple to being a disciple, from not being a Christian to being a Christian. And then you have your, the rest of your life to be discipled. But then asking people, would, would anybody say in the last 12 months, that you've had an encounter with life-changing encounter with Jesus and have chosen to surrender and follow. And and it was a scary thing to do. I remember Father James, the very first time he did, he's petrified because he did it on the vigil mass, which is often a more quiet mass. And so right. a lot of times elderly people have trouble with the hearing. And so the quieter mass is, is more enjoyable for them. But, you know, they've also been with the program for a long period of time where we haven't made new Christians. There isn't even an expectation right. in most Catholic churches right. that anybody is going to go from not being a Christian to being a Christian. And so he, I remember when he, he asked that question, he had people to ask them to stand up and come to the front, and there was just silence. And somebody snickered. Yep. Just kind of like that guy yep. did when yep. UTEC said we're going to be in the championship. Yep. And then finally some people started coming forward, and then there was an audible gasp because that's the, that's the culture of the church back then. We didn't expect anybody to come to faith. And I, so often when I'm coaching churches, they'll say to me, I don't want to do that because what if nobody <laughs> comes up? And I'm thinking to myself, that's not what you tech did. If, if, if I'm a pastor and nobody in my church, we're doing church all year and nobody's coming to faith, I want to know. And then I want to take responsibility because I know everybody in those pews has friends family members and neighbors who've either fallen away or don't know Christ at all. Right. And if that's the case, then I wonder if you could take responsibility for that and do the same thing you text said and look them in the eye and say, that's on me. I'm so sorry that I haven't created a space, an environment, a culture with the right on-roads that you can bring your family and friends to faith and that will never happen again every year that we measure who's become a new disciple, a new Christian, we're going to have numbers. And it starts tomorrow. We're going to start this off. Right. Of course, and we're going to do And some you've got to face the brutal facts. Yeah. And it, that is the, it's a hard thing to do. You've got to call yourself out. You've got to call others out. And that's a hard thing to do because, you, know, you know, a lot of people don't want to face the hard facts. You're quite yeah. willing to be that fluffy, there's really not a scorecard. Well, there's, there's people kind of. Are you doing evangelization? Well, we're kind of. You know, it's hard, and it's, and, and it it's hard. hard. It it's hard. hard. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, we're built to be in community. We're built to walk with others. Uh, God didn't build us to walk this thing alone. Uh, first thing uh, Jesus did when he started his ministry was he, he found 12 broken people, messy people, to, to make a life group. And, you know, we're trying to model that as, as, as best we can there because it's so critical to, to be walking with others, to be, to be loved and supported by others, to be called out by others um, in our faith journey. Um, you know, we talk about big church and small church. Got to be there on Sunday. Great pre preaching, great music, that community. But you got to be there during the week in the smaller groups, just just loving each other and supporting each other along this along this path. Hopefully, all the way to heaven. The goal. Amen. I love that. And so, Bill, I know that uh, when I was doing some work over in Dartmouth with Father Toshiku's church, mm -hmm. I had you come over and and run our staff retreat and be a keynote speaker for our mission. And so, I know speaking is something that you've really taken to heart over the years. You've been doing some amazing work speaking. Uh, I've spoken at some of the DR conferences and done workshops and really helped teams build teams, uh, change culture, inspire faith. And so I just want to give a shout out to you and all the work that you're doing to, to not only do your role at St. Benedict Parish, but also to be a blessing to other churches and other ministries to help them learn how to win. Well, you know, the funny thing about public speaking 
the introvert that I am, um, it is not my first choice. Right. And I can I, I look at you right now and uh, as you share those words and thank you. The, the memory I had was you inviting me to a leadership summit very early in this journey to work in the kitchen, help out in the kitchen, which I said, yeah, I can do that. Right. I remember watching this leadership summit. I wasn't part of it. And you walking up to me and saying, hey, Bill, I was just talking to Father James. Um, uh, we both think it'd be a good idea for you to share your testimony at the upcoming men's breakfast. And then you walked away. <laughs> I hauled you back, and I said, like, what, what are you talking about? He said, oh, there's 100 or so men that meet on a regular basis, and, and we'd like to share your testimony. And I'm like, what is a testimony? I don't even know what a testimony is. What are you talking about? Right? And my heart just coming out of my chest, and, of course, I can't say no to this kind of stuff, so I did, and it was a blessing. Yeah. And, and you know, many times God has, has used me in sort of a speaking role, and uh, I'm never comfortable with it. I'm never worthy of it, but I know he doesn't want my comfort or my worthiness. He just wants my yes. And, and it's it's always been an unbelievable blessing. So I surrender reluctantly <laughs> to, to that. And, um, and know, let, like, let, like, let him use me. Let him use me. God, it's, it's been such an unbelievable journey, you know, the last 10 years. Didn't know Jesus 10 years ago. Never read a word of the Bible 10 years ago. God's got a plan. Wasn't mine. Man. Amen. Bill, thank you so much for being with us yeah. today. Thank you for sharing your story of, of, of a ter- being a part of a turnaround, but then also, too, in your work in the church, really striving to, you know, leaders solve problems. And when new leaders come in, new leaders, teams come in, they see things differently and they see problems and they go to work solving them. And I know you've been such a core part of Father Simon's team of solving problems that you guys inherited from us uh, to, <laughs> to make the situation even better. And so thanks for all you do. I really mean that. And for all of you that are, are, are listening and tune in, thank you for sharing. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for hitting the thumbs up button on YouTube. Really appreciate you doing this journey with us. If you're looking for a speaker, maybe you're part of a men's group or you're doing men's conferences or you're leading staff retreats or you're doing missions, uh, reach out to Bill. How would they get a hold of you, Bill? Uh, Bill S. at stbenedict.ca. Bill S. at stbenedict.ca. Love to hear from you. Wonderful. That's (laughs) terrific. Thank you very much. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.